This is episode 517 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's article, When the Meds Run Out, Dealing with a Society in Withdrawal and Finding Alternatives to Popular Medications Now and for SHTF. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, this episode is sponsored by the Hydro Blue VersaFlow water filter. Now the VersaFlow is one of the most versatile water filters currently made. Not only can you use it for your own personal water filter needs, but you can use it to create a family-sized water filter. The thing is, the VersaFlow will filter up to 100,000 gallons. Now, to watch a video and get the free PDF tutorial to turn it into a family-sized water filter and get a code for 20% off of the VersaFlow, you can click the link in the show notes or visit prepperwebsite.com forward slash VersaFlow. All right, everyone, this article is a very important one, a very serious one. It's coming to us from BackdoorSurvival.com, written by Samantha Biggers. And the title, it's a long title here, When the Meds Run Out, Dealing with a Society in Withdrawal and Finding Alternatives to Popular Medications Now and for SHTF. So I'm going to go ahead and jump into it because it is an important article and an important topic to consider and really you need to be considering it now if there and you know I say if it's almost when there is an SHTF situation that happens you need to this is what you know it's one of those things it's another thing that you're going to have to be dealing with on top of all the other things that are out there that you're going to be dealing with this is another one and it could very well strike very close to home so let's go ahead and, and dig into this article and I'm going to come back on the back side of it and just provide a little bit of commentary here. So let's go ahead and jump in. One fear that many have is not being able to get the medication they or their loved ones need for treating chronic conditions. The problem with running out of meds is much deeper than that. There are a ton of problems that our dependency on big pharma has created. I'm going to start this post with some ugly truths that we all may one day have to face in some way, even if some of us don't take any prescription medications. You are going to have to learn how to mentally handle the prospect of what will start to happen and the result of medications not being available if you want to be truly prepared for an SHTF scenario. There will be people that your heart aches to help, but there is a good chance you either cannot or you have to decide that it is not in the best interest of your family to do so. The person may be someone very close to you. Now, this is a heavy article and very much an overview. There are many classes of drugs and conditions that I simply could not put in without writing an article many times this in length. If you have something to add, I highly encourage you to do so in the comments. So, quote, did you know that 218,000 people died of prescription opiate drug overdoses in the USA between 1999 and 2016? More than 49,000 of these deaths occurred in 2017 alone and included the synthetic opiates like fentanyl, 
that are deadly in very small doses. Heroin use has also increased significantly. Overall drug overdose deaths for 2017 was more than 72,000. And so that was sourced by, or that's in quote, and that was sourced by the CDC prescription opioid data. So just to put it in perspective, we lost 58,220 soldiers in the 10 years we were fighting the Vietnam War. Now, people protested in the streets and rallied for major change during the Vietnam years. You don't see that level of outrage about the opiate crisis, and we are losing insane amounts of the youth of America. So using the CDC's numbers, in 2017 alone, we lost 14,000 more people due to drugs than in the entire 10-year of the Vietnam War, in one year. God, that's a staggering number. And this one that you don't, I know that I've heard about it because I have read it in the alternative media, but it's not one that you hear mainstream media talk about. So the theory, people that are addicted to opiates are other or other hard drugs will go nuts and be dangerous. Yes and no. While someone that cannot get their fix is going to be volatile and on edge, there are other things that have to be considered. Withdrawal can and often kills people with severe addictions. Going off heroin or prescription painkillers, cold turkey with no medical support, such as medication to ease off and someone to make sure an addict gets enough food and fluid to make it through, doesn't always work out so well. I know people that have worked in the medical industry and they see withdrawal kill people and it doesn't discriminate based on age. There will be people acting crazy, but the first month of SHTF will probably be the worst of this type of thing. Those with severe addictions may very well not have the physical capabilities within a few days of not having their fix to cause any trouble. A real SHTF situation also means people will be on guard and even those that cause some trouble will likely not make it that long. There will be someone out there that eliminates them when they make a wrong choice because they are desperate and not thinking clearly. Where I live, a home invasion or intrusion results in someone getting shot. This is the same reason why lone wolves during SHTF that don't prepare and think they will take whatever they need from others will not last long. So here's a compassion reminder. There are people that are born with issues that they have no control over like schizophrenia or autism. Also, there are plenty of people with chronic conditions that are faced with a terrible situation when the meds run out. Disorders like schizophrenia are often easily controlled with medications. The effects of autism are another example. And guys, just from my experience with autism, it's a wide range spectrum, right? And something that I dealt with on, uh, you know, when I was working on the campus. And so you could have someone that uh, has autism that you might, everything looks all right, right? You know, as you're as you're looking at them and you're wondering why is this person having issues and they could be missing a lot of social cues and they might be very high functioning all the way down to, uh, you know, on the other side of the spectrum where, you know, they're not functioning hardly at all. They're not talking and they're not responsive. And sometimes they might even, again, they might even present themselves like there's, there should not be anything wrong, but they might not answer you. You know, there's been videos that I've seen like on YouTube of maybe a police officer, 
dealing with someone who uh, was not answering or seemed like they were being uh, disobedient or what wasn't listening. And really it was, you know, because they had this issue, right? And so I know police officers get a lot of training on that and they, they need to be able to identify that. But that's the, that's the, the reality of it. There's this wide spe- spectrum when you're talking about autism. So it's really, it's very hard to deal with spectrum in a small little article like or autism uh, in the small little article like this and really do it justice and just remember that you have this wide spectrum that we're talking about when we deal with that so continuing on remember before you judge someone too harshly that they may have an actual medical condition this is not the same scenario as someone that is addicted to street drugs or pain meds those with conditions like diabetes or high blood pressure are just a few examples of those that need medicine for a major health issue. Now, addicts are people too. While their behavior is not acceptable, it is important to not dehumanize them either. People make mistakes and some overcome them if given a chance. So suicides have increased and will get worse if meds or drugs run out for any reason. And one of the major side effects for a lot of medications for the mind is an increased risk of suicide. Withdrawal from narcotics also increases the risk. Someone in withdrawal may feel like they are dying anyway and be more inclined to follow through. This is one reason why someone withdrawing needs people to look out for them. Now, what about some natural remedies to ease opiate withdrawals? This is not a substitute for major treatment. Long-term opiate abuse can cause a lot of different health effects. Cardiac events are all too common no matter what age the person addicted may be. During SHTF, or for those that have a less serious addiction, may find that these treatments help them get through the hardest parts. Now, I have listed at-home treatment options by symptom. These are some of the most common withdrawal effects. So the first is fever and sweating or chills. Ibuprofen can be used to reduce the flu-like symptoms. The next one is dehydration due to vomiting or diarrhea. It is critical to replace fluids and electrolytes. Pedialyte is an option during good times, but something like emergency E that comes in a powder form is a more realistic option to put back for an SHTF situation, and it stores in a small place. Imodium AD can help eliminate diarrhea symptoms too. What about having the shakes? Shaky muscles and tremoring are common, but there is some evidence that St. John's wort can help relieve the shaking symptoms. St. John's wort can affect how other medications work, so it is best to find out if someone is taking other medicines. So drug addiction can affect someone's mind in many ways. If they take other drugs on top of opiates, then the mixture can have all types of results. I am no psychologist, but when anyone is going through a hard time in their head, then it can help to take their mind off of that as much as possible and direct that energy towards something else. So staying busy can help at a certain point. Drawing, coloring, or building and creating something, for example, can create a sense of accomplishment and improve feelings of self-worth. That can be a very powerful force on the road to recovery. This is where having a supportive family and friends can be a big help and make all the differences. So Xanax is the most widely prescribed psychotropic drug in the United States, and if you just stop taking it suddenly, your risk of death increases a lot. Those that take higher dosages 
are at the most risk of death if they suddenly cannot get their medication. I use this drug as an example, but there are others that have a higher death risk if a person suddenly cannot take them. If you take medications, I recommend looking up info on withdrawal or stopping taking the medication. If you take something like this and there are alternatives, then you may consider looking into them. If you wish to continue taking them or feel that you have to, then at least have an extra supply on hand so that you can gradually wean yourself off of them if SHTF. Also, consider asking your doctor if a lower dosage is an option for your issue. The higher your dosage, the greater the withdrawal risk. Of course, prescriptions like Xanax are often only refillable every 30 days, so you legally cannot keep enough on hand to do much good in an SHTF situation. This is why I strongly encourage you to find other treatments if you can. Ask your doctor about alternatives with fewer side effects and withdrawal issues. So let's talk a little bit about SSRIs or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. This class of medication includes the following FDA approved drugs. So I'm going to read the common name for these. Celexa, Lexapro, Prozac, Paxil, Zoloft, and Viabride. So that's sourced by the Mayo Clinic there. The side effects of stopping an SSRI are similar to many drugs and include nervous behaviors or feeling on edge, nausea and upset stomach, dizziness, lethargy, flu-like symptoms like fever, diarrhea, etc. So uh, it's funny that in this article, nervous behaviors or feeling on edge was highlighted here for anybody that was reading it. And so you think about it, if you're in an SHTF situation, you're already going to be nervous. Your behaviors, you're already going to be on, uh, you know, your behaviors are going to be, you know, too heightened, right? You're going to be on edge. You're going to have that feeling on edge. And so just imagine someone who's coming off of these, then, you know, feeling, feeling that, you know, multiplied, you know, a hundredfold. So there will be more people exhibiting some weird behavior. We have a nation that is largely dependent on antidepressants. The ironic thing is that many of these medications increase the risk of suicide. All antidepressants, including the SSRIs listed above, are required to have a warning on them that they may increase the risk of suicide and suicidal thoughts. So consider this theory. If a medication makes you care or feel less about yourself, then what is that going to do about your feelings for others? In short, if you are numb towards yourself and have little love for yourself as a person, isn't it less likely that you will feel good about others? All the major school shootings that I have researched have something in common, and that is that the shooter was taking prescription drugs that can cause suicidal thoughts or a tendency towards violence. Most of the media doesn't like to touch on this fact, but it is true. So SHTF may out some addicts that did an excellent job hiding the true nature of their addiction. While there are some signs of addiction or prescription drug usage, you cannot always tell the extent of someone's problem. Some addicts have the means to use substances and hide the fact from those around them. People don't always act majorly out of it, and plenty of people keep to themselves. Now, Those of you that say that they have no room for addicts during SHTF, may want to consider what you would do if someone you care about turns out to be taking medication or is on drugs that are suddenly not available. So what about dealing with hypochondriacs? So some people are used to getting medical treatment for the smallest thing. 
Our doctor system encouraged hypochondria among the population. Small visits to doctors cost the country a lot of money in medical reimbursement costs. People are often poor judges of what is severe enough to require a doctor visit. They always go just to make sure. There are people out there that don't think that medical care or advice is worth anything and will not work unless it comes directly from the mouth or office of a doctor. There are people out there that have a lot of medical knowledge and experience. They have kits put together for their families' medical needs, and so they can respond and help others around them if needed. The sad thing is that there are some that would let a medical condition get worse before actually accepting medical supplies and advice from someone that doesn't have a PhD or MD after their name or a fancy office. This is a big deal because more serious medical supplies are precious during SHTF. People don't want to get into their major stockpile of medical supplies unless it's necessary. So if you worry a lot about medical stuff or have someone in your family that does, prepare now. If you are afraid that there will be no medical care available, then prepare yourself now. Learn how to do basic first aid and take care of typical emergencies as well as a few advanced things if you can take a course. If you have a spouse or a partner, then this is something you should learn together so you can take care of each other and any members of your group. You may be squeamish, but you need to try to get over that. You can be prepared to take care of many different emergencies when no help is anywhere. So antidepressants and antipsychotic withdrawal will be a tragedy in itself. I think it will be long-lasting and people will not expect it to be so bad so that they will not be prepared to deal with loved ones that start to exhibit symptoms. So what do you do if you have to take in or care for family members that is or that are withdrawing from medications? First of all, you need to realize the extent of the problem as much as possible. What substance or substances are the source of the problem? The severity of symptoms can vary so much. If someone is going into severe withdrawal, then they may need someone to keep a close eye on them and provide food, water, and cleanup of the messy symptoms. Put it this way, you are going to need a bucket or two nearby if someone is ill and cannot keep food or fluids down. Electrolytes in water are a good idea because they can quickly be depleted. If someone is exhibiting signs of being a danger to themselves or others, you may have to confine them. No one wants to have to do this, but locking someone in a room that has been checked for anything they can use to hurt themselves or others. So that might be that might need to be done, right? If if someone you love, you know, what would you do for someone that you love? And uh, would you lock them in a place where they couldn't hurt themselves uh, and, and, you know, couldn't get out? I don't know. That's something you have to you have to deal with. All right. So during SHTF, some may be hope, some may be hopeless cases. This can be an extremely painful conclusion to come to. I will say that I have personally seen people that do not have the will or the true desire to change. You have to ask yourself if you can help someone. I love the idea of bringing someone out of a very dark place, but if they choose the substance over someone they cared about, you have to ask if they are going to do something for you that they wouldn't work or do for their spouse or child even. So consider alternatives to what you are taking or ways to reduce your meds now. I have readers that have told me their wonderful stories about how they started getting physically fit and taking care of themselves and reversed a lot of their health issues related to cholesterol and blood pressure. These are not younger readers either. These are active adults in their 70s 
and I applaud them for making the effort because it seems like people sometimes think it is too late for them to make improvements. All right, so I, I said that I was going to talk a little bit more here on the other side of this article. I'm still not finished here, but I wanted to bring something up or two things here. First, losing weight will help to clear, if you are obese, if you are overweight, will help to clear up a lot of symptoms, right? And so, and, and we'll get you off of a lot of medications if you're you know obese and you're, you find yourself on a lot. The other thing I wanted to say here is sometimes there are alternative medicines for what you, for what you're getting for a prescription. Uh, I worked with someone who was getting a prescription for, and I can't remember the specific symptom, but it was a prescription. And we were talking about medicines and natural remedies. And she started researching and found that there was something, there was like a supplement that she could take that would do just about the same thing. And so, you know, she started doing it and talked with her doctor or whatever. And so where you have a prescription where you have to go to go through a doctor, right? And, you know, I think the doctor would give her a decent amount or, you know, prescription, maybe 90 days, whatever. But when you have something where it's a supplement, you can go ahead and buy all the supplement you want. And, you know, this, this little thing made life easier for her. So there, there could be, um, you know, some natural remedies or alternative uh, remedies that would help you in your situation. You just need to do a little bit of research. And that leads us into this next section that says, consider natural substitutions. I know that there are some medications or medicines for which there is no comparable natural replacement, but in some cases, you can use natural supplements to control symptoms. I know of plenty of people that take garlic for blood pressure control. When I was taking the SHTF school course by Selco, I remember he mentioned that during the Balkan War, many people used garlic in place of blood pressure medicine and it worked. I made a note of that because he saw it firsthand in a real SHTF situation when there truly was no major medical care available and the medications wore out fast. So this next section is going to talk about ADHD medication, all right? So I have my concerns about how children and teens will be affected when they cannot get any ADHD medication. If any of you have seen the results of this and feel comfortable sharing, please do so in the comments at the end of this post. Now, it seems like more and more kids are being diagnosed with ADHD. I honestly think that while this is a real condition, there are times it is used to label any child that has a hard time in a traditional school setting and needs more physical activity. The problem is that one of the most commonly prescribed medications for ADD and ADHD are amphetamine salts. It is an upper, but doctors say that those with ADD experiencing or experience a calming effect in many cases. I was given amphetamine salts a few years out of college by a doctor, and I don't think that it calms you down. If you go to a doctor and say you can't focus, they throw pills at you, so you walk away feeling like you have done something. I stopped taking them after a few months. All right, so let me just talk just very briefly here because she mentioned this. So someone who truly has ADHD, now I, I agree with Samantha here that doctors will just, you go in, you tell them it's, I'm having a hard time focusing. They will just throw medicine at you. There are many doctors that do that. And really, really, you know, getting a diagnosis for ADHD needs to be test. You need to go to a psychologist. There needs to be a lot more tests than just going to your general practitioner. Okay. So the way that it works though, those that truly have ADHD, the way that it was explained to me is that 
Someone's brain is going super fast, a lot faster than you know, like people that have, you know, like with normal brains, right? And so it's hard for them to focus because they're jumping from one thing to the other to the other because their their brain is working so fast. Well, when they take something like a stimulant, like an upper, like she's talking about here, it has the adverse effect. It's almost like a magnet. When you push two magnets with the same field together, they kind of push away at each other. It's the same idea. If you truly have ADHD and you take a stimulant like you know Ritalin or whatever, um, it's going to, and they really don't prescribe Ritalin anymore, but, uh, you know, Vyvanse or, uh, I don't know, Adderall, whatever whatever the, the new one is, it's going to slow them down. And that's why you have that slowing down uh, of effect where they're able to focus. If you don't have ADHD and you take one of those, it's going to hype you up. It's going to be an upper. It's a stimulant. It's going to get you, you know, moving faster and thinking like, hey, you can accomplish everything. And so that's why kids that maybe are going into college that have a lot to do and, you know, they, they need to focus a lot and they need to be able to do a lot. Sometimes they start abusing, you know, stimulants because they want to be able to get everything done and stay up and they want to push their bodies that way, which definitely is not good. And I'm not advocating for that. But that's that's the reason why it works or it doesn't work. And in Samantha's case here, when she's talking about it, she doesn't have ADHD because it didn't work for her, right? So uh, just a little two cents there. If no, if if you've just you've never really dealt with it, don't have any frame of reference here. All right. So continuing on, of course, an upper will make you focus. Kids take this stuff all the time, and if the doctors treat them like they did me, they try to up the dose a lot more often than they should. You have to tell them no, and they still bring it up at the next visit. My experience was 12 years ago, and I truly hope that things have changed and doctors are not trying to get you up to a high dosage as soon as possible. Now, a lot of Ritalin is prescribed too, but that is often changed to Adderall or the generic form of amphetamine salts by middle school. I don't think giving children a lifelong amphetamine habit is a good idea. All right, so another thing, and man, I said I wasn't going to, going to talk... I want to say this, and this really doesn't have to do with medicine here or per se, the the topic, but just dealing with doctors. A lot of the time we think that because a doctor, we look at doctors as the people that heal us, right? When we're sick, we go to the doctor, they give us medication, we feel better, we respect them. They've done a lot of education. They've gone to school for a long time. You know, uh, for the most part, they know what they're doing, but not all of them you know, and not all the time. Sometimes, you know, you got to know your own body. So in this case, like Samantha was talking about that they wanted to up the dosage, you know, you got to say, no, you wait a minute. I don't want to up the dosage on this one. You know, when I come back and maybe see you again, I'll up the dosage or I want to try this, right? So sometimes doctors don't always have the answer. Sometimes they're just going by what the pharmaceutical companies are telling them and maybe they're going by what they've read in a paper maybe they're just going by feel maybe they're experimenting with you right and i hate to date to say that but i know of people that have been told that you know we really don't know we're just kind of trying and you know whatever here and you you don't want that on your body and especially when you're talking about medications like this so just know that when you go see a doctor you have the right to say well wait a minute I, I want to talk about this or no, I don't want to jump to that prescription yet. Are there some alternative methods or 
can I try half of that or whatever it is. But just, you know, make sure that you're just not sitting there accepting everything. You can question. You can ask questions. You can say, wait a minute, I don't want to go that route or whatever or want a second opinion or whatever. But anyway, I just wanted to kind of throw that out because that has recently come up in another conversation that I had. All right, so continuing on, natural solutions and alternative treatments. And this is going to be for ADHD. Eliminate artificial colors and flavors from the diet. Now, I don't know if that still is the case or not. That might be, I, I don't know. I'm so far removed from all of that now. Enjoy the great outdoors. Children and adults that spend time outside tend to have the ability to concentrate better. And that is very true. Working out, you know, exercising, that definitely helps to slow you down. Eating right, right? Uh, so this next one is natural herbs and supplements such as ginkgo, ginseng, zinc, vitamin B6, passion flower and magnesium. So yeah, so all of that and then working out, eating right, all those things will will definitely work to help with uh, with ADHD and to do that natural. Um, so I'll come back in, like I said at the at the end. So uh, there was a source here there and there's another link here. Alternative treatment information came from Healthline, an excellent source for health and wellness information on the web. So remember to discuss any changes with your doctor if you have access. Everyone is different and other health issues besides ADHD may need to be considered. So here's some steps to take before SHTF. Make a list of medications used by members of your household or group. Number two, research the side effects and withdrawal effects online. Print the information and put it in a binder for reference if needed. Number three, research natural alternatives for treatments and put back a natural medical alternatives kit. Examples may be garlic, pills for blood pressure or passion flower for anxiety and depression, melatonin for sleep disorders, arnica for muscle soreness and pain. If you don't have a medicinal plant guide for your area, then I highly recommend getting one and learning some plants. Peterson's Field Guide to Medicinal Plants is my go-to guide for this and what was used at the college I attended for folk medicine classics. CBD oil is readily available at even some drugstores, it seems. It can help with anxiety, stress, depression, and a variety of other disorders. Then finally, ask your doctor about an extra prescription. A lot of medications you can get all or a lot at once, and I suppose some medical insurances may have restrictions, but unless something is a controlled substance, you can usually get a 90-day supply. And if you get two of these, then you at least have 180 Day supply. So do you have a plan for when the meds run out? Have you used any natural alternatives to successfully treat medical or mental conditions? All right, guys. So let me go ahead and that's the article again. I think it's a great article, a lot of information, a lot of things to consider here. And uh, hopefully you're kind of thinking about it, especially if you might have you know family members that you are planning to come to your place if there is an SHTF situation, right? Or you might have family members that you just don't know everything about them right now, and they could be on antidepressants. They could be on that kind of you know medicine. And so this is something that you really need to be able to 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 deal with. You might be on it, you know, and you might you might start to consider, you know, is there something I need to stockpile, or what would I do in a situation like this? All right, so let me just kind of just share a couple of thoughts here. 
The first one is I wanted to cover the ADHD thing because I don't think that's going to be an issue. ADHD medicine, for the most part, um, some of it you need to be tapered off of. Of course, I'm not a medical professional and I'm not giving you advice here. You need to do your own research. But for the most part, in a, SH, in a true SHTF situation, you're going to be busy. You're going to be working out. You're going to be, and not working out with weights and stuff like that, but you're going to be busy. There's going to be things to do. Your mind is going to be stretched and, and there's going to be, you know, life is going to completely change. And so there's going to be that aspect of it. Uh, a lot of the times when kids are have ADHD or when people have ADHD and they start to hyper-focus, they or they will hyper focus on something, and so that's why a kid who has ADHD truly has ADHD. And guys, I'm not trying to get into the whole you know school and all that type of stuff. I'm just sharing with you my my experiences. A kid with ADHD could play video games all night long and not miss a beat, but then you give them a book to read and they can't stay still for five minutes. And the reason being is that. The video games is a preferred activity, and for them, they can hyper-focus on that because they really love it. But we can switch that around as well. There's kids out there that might not like, that have ADHD, that they don't like video games, but let's say they like fishing. And they can go hyper-focus on fishing. They could stay out there for hours. They could talk to you about all different kinds of fishing lures and fish and, and how to catch the best you know, uh, you know, the best bait and all that kind of stuff. But then you put a control in front of them and they just, they don't have, you know, any desire to want to play video games. So a lot of the times it's what they hyper-focus on, what they desire, what they, what they like to do. And so I think that if you ever find yourself in an SHTF situation with someone who was like that, you start giving them those desired things that they like to do. You find what those things are. And so maybe it is hunting, right? Maybe it is gardening. They like going out there and it's it's calming for them and they like that. Maybe it's fishing. Maybe it's you know whatever it might be. And so that's the thing that they become that expert in. And sometimes because they can hyper-focus, they become a real strong expert in that field, whatever that might be. So I don't think the ADHD is going to be as big of an issue um, as some of the other things that we talked about here. So when I think about this topic, I think about the book Lights Out. And so if you've never read that book, there is a situation where um, there's like a mental hospital. And really, you know, when people realize that the lights have gone out and they realize that it's not just the electric grid, you know, power outage for a little bit, um, that it is something serious you know, pretty much everyone bails on the mental hospital and people are left there and they are pretty much taken off meds, you know, automatic. I mean, it's just like, boom, is there's no withdrawal. Uh, you know, there's no tapering off. Uh, well, I, I mean, no, there's no tapering off. The withdrawal symptoms start automatically, right, right away. And so you start seeing people acting kind of crazy and stuff like that. So there is a situation where someone goes in and breaks into the uh, the mental hospital and they steal a bunch of the medications because they are you know drug addicts and and they realize hey this is my chance to go get a bunch of drugs that I might not ever have the ability to get ever again and so they go and they steal these drugs and so there's a whole big old deal uh, situation that that happens because of that but uh, you know another reason 
why you might want to read the book Lights Out. Just be careful because you can get really, you know, focused in on that story. And uh, if you tend to to freak out a little bit, uh, it can definitely do that to you. But that story really opened up my my mind to how bad this situation might be because you're going to have that you're going to have this situation all over the place. I know that there are people that are on medications and you know, I've talked to people before that were about to go see the doctor and you know, they were having trouble maybe in their marriage. Uh, they were just having a very stressful time and their reason for wanting to get on the medication was, you know, uh, it takes the edge off. And I understand having rough times and and you know, life is hard and all that kind of stuff. But you don't want just you don't want that medication just because to take the edge off, right? So you got to be careful about that. So if you're listening to this, that's one of those things that you know. Hopefully, you can start to see where you're at. There are some people that definitely need it, and so if you do need it, you're listening to this, or if you have a family member that needs medication like this, then you really need to go to the alternatives and start to try to find you know, what would I do and have some kind of game plan. And so talking with a doctor that won't look at you like a looney tune might be something that you might want to do and just, and I don't know, maybe you could bring it up. Hey, I was reading this story and lights out and the, you know, everything goes dark and it's the apocalypse. What would happen to me or what would happen to, you know, my family member if they couldn't get their medication again? What would how would I wean them off? And the doctor might play it off, but no, you might just say, no, really, I'm I'm just kind of serious. What would I do? It got really got me thinking about this, right? And so it could be that you start breaking up the pills and you start giving them a little bit, you know, uh, you, you start breaking down the amounts until you really get them down to a low amount, and then possibly if there is something that is herbal that you could move to, that's what you want. And so not just having the field guide that Samantha was talking about here, but knowing what kind of herbal remedies might work for you uh, or for your loved one, that's what you want to start growing right now, right? That's what you want to start doing right now. You want to have those seeds right now. You want to have that experience uh, growing that stuff right now so that you can start using it if you needed it. Now, a word of caution, I'm not an herbalist, but herbs, it's not going to work the same way as a pill is going to work. It might help to relieve some symptoms. It might help take the edge off. It might help just very minimal, but it's better than nothing, right? And so that's kind of the way that you really need to look at that and, and, and pursue that. The other thing is sometimes... Essential oils, my, I know I talk a lot about essential oils, but if you are you have insomnia, you're not able to sleep, maybe some lavender would be able to help you to relax enough to be able to go to sleep. If you uh, have a hard time focusing, maybe, maybe peppermint would be able to help you to focus a little bit more. I know that uh, you know in school they give kids uh, pencils that have peppermint smell on them because of that, because it helps them to focus, that smell just kind of triggers things in the mind to help them to focus a little bit more. So that might be something that you look into. It's just the thing that you start doing some research now and you start, you know, looking up different options now so that when the poop hits the fan, 
you're not trying to, oh my gosh, I got my food storage, I got my water storage, I got you know this going on, that going on. And on top of all of that, I've got to be thinking about this other situation here with my family member or myself and my medicine is is going to you know be running out and I'm going to be going through withdrawal symptoms right so you have that the other thing the last thing here something that probably affects everyone listening to this is going to be a drug that we don't consider a drug is caffeine now caffeine you know you you come off of that you, know, you might have coffee stockpiled you might have coffee beans that you're able to, you know, green coffee beans that you have stored up that you're able to roast and then grind up and, and all that kind of stuff. You might drink, you know, sodas, whatever, and all that. You got caffeine out the wazoo. So what would happen if you if you stopped drinking caffeine? Just try it one day. If you are a caffeine drinker, if you're a coffee drinker, tomorrow morning, you know, after hearing this podcast, don't drink any coffee. See what happens, right? You're going to have headaches. Some people that have extreme caffeine addictions start even, they even get shakes, right? And it can it can happen. I, I know I had a family member that tried to go on the, the low-carb diet and they completely cut everything out, even caffeine. And by midday, they were just shaking because they were so used to drinking a lot of caffeine. And I told them, that's not the way you do it. You got to wean yourself off of the caffeine. But they didn't listen. And so they they had all these these symptoms. It was crazy. It was kind of funny, actually. But you know, it was kind of funny because they didn't listen to what I told them. Like, you got to wean yourself off. But anyway, so that might be something that we need to be thinking about as well. So the way that I imagine it is if the poop hit the fan and I know that I'm not going to get coffee anymore, right? Because I drink coffee every single morning. I love to drink coffee. And so that's that's my thing. Uh, I know that I'm going to have to start. I'm going to have to start pulling back on that. And so maybe if I drink, let's just say six cups of coffee, you know, and I have some stored, even if I have green coffee beans, I'm going to start putting back and I might go to four cups of coffee for a week. I might go to two cups of coffee. I might go to one cup of coffee after, you know, so, so much time. And I'm going to be looking at my stores of caffeine and coffee and see how long I can do this. But I might start going to half a cup. I might start cutting it more with water, right? And and doing it that like, I'm talking about cutting, like I'm talking about drugs here, but I might start putting more water into it and, and going from there and using less coffee and seeing what that does and, and playing around with that. But that's already something that I have thought about because that's going to affect me. And I know how I get when I don't have caffeine, you know, and I get a headache and I get grumpy and there's going to be, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be like that. I mean, on top of all the you know, all the, the other psychotropic medications, you're going to just have people that are grumpy because they don't have caffeine, right? They didn't get their Starbucks or they don't have coffee Folgers or whatever it might be. Their little Craig cups ran out. And so they're going to be freaking out, man. And so that's another thing you're going to be thinking about. So if you are a coffee drinker, do you have a plan to kind of, you know, pull back on that? So I don't know. That's another thing to think about. I, I think about that kind of stuff. I don't know. So hopefully that that is helpful for you. Well, everyone, I hope that this um, this article and this topic has got you thinking just a little bit. There's a lot to this uh, this topic and, you know, the poop hitting the fan 
a lot of the times we don't think about all these little things that, you know, we, we think about the, an economic collapse, a pandemic, an EMP, the grid failure going down and we're kicking into gear. And then there's all these other things that can layer. There's things that you have not thought about right now that I have not thought about that are going to affect us. And when we get into a poop hit the fan situation, we're going to be like, oh my gosh, how did I miss that? How did I not think about that? But the the thing that you need to understand is that you are putting information here and you are critically thinking. You are using you know your preparedness in ways that when you get to that situation that you're able to call those audibles, you're able to to call that 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 situation and you're able to hopefully come up with a solution that will uh, help you to move you forward and move your family forward. So, you know, that's that's how we got to approach all of this, because we are going to be thrown things that that we're not even thinking about right now. Things are going to come up that we're not even considering and that's, you know, we're going to have to be able to adjust and be flexible and roll with the punches. Well, guys, like always, I'm going to link to this article. It's coming to us again from Backdoor Survival. I'm going to link to this article in the show notes and you can go check it out. Uh, again, it was called When the Meds Run Out, Dealing with the Society in Withdrawal and Finding Alternatives to Popular Medications Now and for SHTF. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 517. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.